just for the record, so that you know where you are, my name is Tim Williams. This is a 1.30 session on empowering indigenous believers, okay? It talks about empowerment models of health care. So if you look down and you go, oh my goodness, I'm in the wrong room, now's a good time to sneak out. I was just kidding. You don't have to leave, David. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> okay, good. All right, I was asking the question before we started, just so I could get a, a general synopsis. Yeah, um, yeah, I move around too, so I'll try not to... Yeah, okay. Well, I'll, if I close it all the way, it's going to go off. And then, and I am no technolo- technological savvy, so I'll just be in trouble. Um, I was surveying the people that were here earlier just to get a feel for who was in the room. Because I'm a dentist by trade, I'll introduce myself officially. My name is Tim Williams. I'm a dentist from Knoxville, Tennessee. If you have trouble understanding my accent, let someone know. We'll get an interpreter. Um, I'm used to working with those. And uh, I actually work at a hospital, uh, University of Tennessee Medical Center in Knoxville. I am an assistant professor in the graduate practice residency there for dentists. I also have a private practice there. Uh, another, hey guys, another added... Uh, blessing really, is I'm also the president of uh, Empower Approach, which is the empowering, one of the empowering ministries here. Um, If I have time, I'll tell you about my journey to that, but that is really not primarily uh, the reason we're here. Uh, I was asking earlier how many in the room were dentists or dental students, medical, medical students, nursing, and and drive-by majors. Um, So uh, I'll, I'll run that again because the room got a little fuller. Uh, a quick show of hands, dentist or dental students? Dentist, dentist, okay, medical or medical students? Okay, good, nursing or nursing students? Yeah, perfect. And physical therapist or physical therapy students? Perfect. Um, uh, what a pharmacy or pharmacy students? I'm, I'm, I'm catching up. Okay, good. So there is a really, there really is a, a broad uh, base. I will apologize on the front end if we talk dental because 30 years of dental training has pounded it into my brain. I will, however, paint with a broad enough brush and address as many subjects as we can about general empowering because we have sister ministries we work with if they do something that we don't that will hit the field that you're in, okay? So let's open with prayer if we could. Father God, I ask you to make us aware of the fullness of your Holy Spirit that indwells all of us Christ followers in this room. I ask you, Father, to help us identify our calling specifically and uh, to use that calling for your glory around the world. Father, thank you. Thank you for redeeming us through your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. Okay, just a quick few facts. And by the way, it's mostly pictures, so if you see a lot, if you're in school... I will not bore you with slides of facts. There will not be a test at the end, I promise, okay? But I just want to give you a few basic tenets, and some of you may have heard these if you've been in mission conferences at all. And this is the latest data we have. In 2005, over 1.7 million adults went on short-term mission trips and spent a lot of money. You can read the screen. Over four, I'm being recorded, I'm sorry, spending over $2.5 million dollars. Over 40% of 15 to 21-year-olds have been on short-term mission trips of some sort, either in the U.S. or internationally. Traditionally, it's what it looks like. This, by the way, was my very first international mission trip uh, ever, uh, and it was a doing trip. Okay, this is Bangalore, India, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot of what to do and what not to do, and, but this is what it looked like. Americans went and we do. 
That's what we do. That is what our hallmark is, is doing. We roll up our sleeves and take on the nasty jobs around the world. Uh, the locals help. Or worse, in my experience, many places around the world on doing trips, the locals end up watching. And that is a tragedy that we'll discuss in a few minutes. There are some advantages, however, of Americans doing the work. This is some things I've learned on the trips I've been on, where I go and I do. Uh, we can use our skills to help many more people. Working with indigenous people and empowering them is messy and it's slow. Okay, So I could take out more teeth in a week, in one week, than my compadre untrained obviously could in a week. A lot can be done in a short amount of time. We can take a lot of money and we can take a lot of supplies and a lot of resources into an area. And for those of us who have ever been on a trip... By the way, how many people have been on a mission trip? Uh, short term, most of the room. Okay. Uh, so as you know, you gain a global perspective okay, you, uh, of what the world is. The world suddenly grows very quickly after your first international trip. That's not altogether a bad thing. As a matter of fact, I think it's a good thing. Okay. Uh, the millennials in this room, you guys just take it for granted because you're used to the Internet and globalization is an easy jump for you. For those of us over a certain age, uh, we didn't grow up with the Internet or cell phones. And for me, and I'm over that certain age on my first international trip, it was quite an eye-opener. I didn't realize there was that kind of poverty. Okay, I learned a lot. And so we can learn a lot of things. But there are some disadvantages. And these are some things I learned really after the fact. Sometimes we go to places that uh, don't need our skill set. Um, in Bangalore, India, for instance, which was my first uh, trip, there were thousands of dentists. They didn't need another dentist pulling teeth. Okay, They didn't. They needed the dentists in that city, the, the, the Christ-following dentists in that city, to be trained to go to where I was, but they didn't need my specific skill in that case. Um, and the supplies we bring... Pulls money out of the local economy, particularly supplies that can be bought. Now, if you've been on a mission trip, a, a doing trip, and we do this actually too, and we'll talk about that in a minute. How many of you had like these huge suitcases full of stuff and you waddle in with toys and soccer balls and paintbrushes and you know, all these things, right? It's a lot of stuff to carry in. A lot of this stuff can be purchased in country and for whatever reason... North Americans think our stuff's better. I imagine that, but we do. And uh, that is a potential disadvantage. Okay, here are some of the unintended results, and I have actually seen this in action. Uh, the local believers completely disengage. Okay, we look different, we talk different. Many times we have a different language. Um, if you're a medical professional in any way, shape, or form and been on a trip, uh, our hands move more smoothly because we're trained and we know how to move. And we st- And if you're working with the people groups, they tend to shy away. Okay, um, That is an unintended bad result. Uh, this is a really bad one. A dependence on our money uh, is, I think, one of the more detrimental things. Because we actually started, over probably the last 70 to 80 years, globally, I think North Americans have probably trained ministries around the world to depend on us to the point that if our economy collapses, I fear what would happen to our, some of our partners globally. 
okay? And that's not healthy, brothers and sisters. We need to find a remedy to that. Uh, the people we help, oh, and you guys have famously heard this story. The people we help will get the wrong message, and they'll accept the American God as long as the American God gives them American goods. The famous story is uh, when a group goes to Mexico to pass out clothes, and one of the locals talks to another local and says, I've been saved seven times this year, and i got a bunch of clothes to show for it. Okay, that is the example, and it is unfortunately a tragedy, and we foster that if we're not careful on mission. Uh, there can be bitterness and violence. Charlie, the founder of Empower, uh, tells this story that he was in Nigeria and on a doing trip. It was one of his final doing trips. And uh, they were about to leave, and there were many, many people outside the gate to, be, to get in to be seen, and they had to exit quickly because the crowd that could not be seen were growing restless. And when they realized the Americans were leaving, uh, they were fearing that violence would ensue. Okay, they were pushing against the gate, trying to get in, because if you've ever had a toothache, whether you're a dentist or not, you know what kind of debilitating pain that can have. If you walk two and a half days to get that debilitating pain relieved, you're going to be a little bit perturbed if you can't be seen. Okay, so that is an unintended negative result. And even worse, the local believers that we work with and we come to love because everyone in this room that's been on a trip... Tell me the truth. Didn't you fall in love with the locals, with the people you work with? We develop close, close, close relationships, okay? But sometimes, even unintentionally, we can be culturally insensitive. Uh, we can say things that we don't know. And I speak, by the way, by example. I'm one of the worst, okay? I'm learning. But we can say things to make them feel inadequate. And here are just a couple of facts. I'm almost out of didactic slides for all you students. For decades... For decades, we have taken our skills, money, and methods to the world. But when we leave, the work stops. Many times, and you may or may not have examples of this, many times you will go to a place to paint houses or lay foundations or, or what have you and leave and you go back the next year and it stopped right where it was. Uh, if you were in Charlie Vitito's meeting yesterday, he told the story, and I will repeat it with his hopefully gratitude, uh, of being in Haiti in a small church and uh, there was a, a hole in the roof of the church and uh, someone came in and said, Pastor, there's a hole in your roof. Did you know? He said, yes, we do. And he said, does it not bother you when it rains? Does it not get wet in here? He went, yes, it does. And he says, well, can't you do something about that? He says, we can't get a short-term team to come down here to fix the hole. And you guys got the, got what the gist of that. The work shouldn't stop. We should be able to teach them to fix the hole or build the wall or pull the tooth or do whatever, which we'll talk about in just a second. Around the world, millions, millions of our brothers and sisters are surviving on less than a dollar a day, some of them in impoverished conditions, living in deplorable situations that don't need to happen. I can give you an example again in a minute of what changes there. But these brothers and sisters have a call. They have a call, not necessarily for medicine, physical therapy, pharmacy, dentistry, nursing, uh, or any of the other skills that we might have necessarily, but they're called to evangelize their people and love their people. Okay, So I look around this room and I see men and women who have been called with specific goals in mind. And if anything, I want to challenge you to start to think about exactly what is that call? What is the call that God has put on your life? Now, you have a skill. 
Okay, now I tell people sometimes I was called to be a dentist. Okay, but until about five or six years ago, I didn't realize that I was called to evangelize the world using my dental skills because I didn't think I could. Just to be honest, I thought I would evangelize the world with my beautiful singing voice, which I have and will not demonstrate. Okay, until I realized they don't sing English all over the world, right? (laughs) Okay, and so... Imagine my shock when I go to extract teeth or teach someone to extract teeth and they can share the gospel to someone who's hurting. Okay, so everything I'm telling you is not anything I didn't learn myself. Okay, I'm not a preacher. I'm a dentist. Okay, uh, but I tell you what, I sure have learned a lot in 50-something years of doing things a lot of times the wrong way. Experience is a really good teacher. And I have a lot of experience. So you're not going to hear me say anything or talk down to anyone in this room who's, who is really, really sold out on going and doing trips. Okay? Uh, but there is a better way. There is a better way. Um, we are one of the most giving nations in the world. Resource, time, energy. But I think we underestimate ourselves. Everyone in this room, whether you're a student in the first year in dental school, medical school, nursing, whatever, pharmacy, or whether you are a seasoned professional who's been out uh, 20 or 30 years in profession, which uh, I have been, um, you have a gift. You have a gift that many times we go and don't share Okay, previously, because we'll take our money and we'll take our time and we'll take our resource, but we keep what's in here. You have skill that you can share. And if we go share that skill, we can really, really empower our brothers and sisters in these countries where Christ is not known to give them a vehicle and a tool to reach into communities that they might be in risk going in as strictly a Christian but going in as a healthcare worker, it opens doors for them. So I want you to consider that as I continue talking, okay? So what happens when we share that knowledge? This is a vision module. Uh, who's my, my drive-by? My drive-by student and my non-healthcare working personnel in the room? This is a dentist's wife. She's not an optometrist. She's not an ophthalmologist. She's also not doing cataract surgery, okay, and she's not teaching cataract surgery, okay, but she is teaching basic vision skills to indigenous believers. I think this was in Myanmar. Um, This is what happens. This is a local pastor. And if you can't see, we're extracting a tooth right here, and my pointer don't work on this HD screen. I'm so sorry. These are some brothers and sisters in far northeast India, a part of India that I didn't even know was India. Um, And they are traveling two days, no, excuse me, two weeks, Janan, over over hills and over rivers to go to very remote villages where I will assure you very, very few Americans have ever been. The name of Jesus has either never been heard or certainly rarely been heard. And then they enter these villages and they can share Christ um, through different modules. And what you'll notice there, those are that's not dental. So yay, yay us. That's not a dental module, okay? Um, that's certainly not a dental module. If you're in this room and you are non-healthcare related, you need to know that there are other ways. When God calls you, uh, many of you are young. Many of us are not young. Some of you are already married and you may have a, a spouse who is not 
healthcare inclined, okay, or you may have a parent who is not healthcare inclined, but they have a calling, okay. God calls us all in different ways. Our job, my job as as part of a nonprofit called Empower, our job as go to the exhibit halls, you can see many, many people. Our jobs, our calling is to try to connect people that God has called specifically to where they can be used by God in, in other ways. Okay? That is how we work. This is how God weaves together threads in the tapestry. And I really can't wait till we get to heaven because we just get to see the strings hanging down from the tapestry. We don't know what it looks like on the other side, but isn't it going to be exciting when we get there and go, that's why I connected with that brother in Myanmar. Oh my goodness. Okay, it's just exciting to see what God can do when we step away and trust ourselves. And a, a common objection that I hear is, well, I'm young. I really don't know what I'm doing. I can't teach. Or, I'm really old. I don't think the methods I would teach are going to work. Or, I don't think these folks can learn what we're going to teach them. Okay? And let me tell you, I thought the same way too until I saw it done. When you transfer a skill that you have, no matter what it is, a nursing skill, uh, a physical therapy skill. I have a, um, a friend who goes and teaches uh, people in Thailand how to do physical therapy manipulation on burn victims. Okay, and so she leaves them and they do that. It's a phenomenal ministry. Um, and then those local believers, once they're trained, then they get to go into the world. They get to use their call. But they get to use their call with a new skill. And that new skill is what we're called to do. Now, can you do... Who was in Jamie Saint's lecture earlier? Okay, yeah, some of you guys are going to remember that. He, he ran, for those who weren't, he had a 300-foot tape measure and he ran it around the room, okay? Two or three times, I think, okay? And so five feet is about all that we're reaching. There's three billion people in the world who have not even heard the name of Jesus, okay? I don't care how hard North Americans work. We're not going to reach them all. But by the power of multiplication, we have opportunity. And this is where the empowering model comes in. And I'll tell you what, this worked for me. I was transformed. I was transformed when I went and saw how my brothers uh, and sisters could actually do the things we teach. Um, Didn't think it could happen. And just to be quite frank with you, it could not happen without the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you really, really want to examine your own lives, what you do cannot be accomplished without the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because you're divinely called, guys. You are divinely called by the Father of lights to reach a dying world for Him. And so that is our challenge. This is a, this was actually a really good story. This is Uganda. This was actually my very first trip. I told you guys I went to Bangalore, India on a doing trip about six years ago. Uh, I was late to the game, all right, uh, primarily because I was just didn't care. I'll just be honest, a confession. But I finally went on a trip, and I did a lot of work, and I came back really sore because I was not young even then, and realized there had to be a better way because I was really, really tired. And while I was in the process of finding the empowering ministry model, 
Um, I ended up going to Uganda as just almost like a research trip because, quite frankly, I didn't think we could teach anyone how to do anything in a day and a half or five days, okay? Um, and I was astounded. I was really astounded early out of the gate because the, the young man on the right here in the tan uh, was a student that was trained the year before. He's a dental health worker. He's not a dentist. Um, and uh, if you notice... Uh, the only American guy is the guy in the back, and he's watching. But the guy here is actually teaching a first-year student, second-year students teaching the first-year student how to extract the tooth. You know the advantage there? You don't need an interpreter. You know? You know how much time that saves? You know? It's just really refreshing to see. So I learned some things. This is a student that was just recently trained, actually. Uh, the, the dentist's wife that trained the vision module. This is one of her students. They're doing training. Okay. This is another one. Okay. Here's a, here are some skills that we teach currently. Now, I, I represent uh, Empower Approach. Okay. But up on this board are examples of other empowering ministries. ITech, uh, which I think I saw John and Amy are representatives with ITech. Teaching to Transform is a medical, uh, a medical-based empowering group. Um, there are uh, Fame is another one. There are several groups that in, it are exhibiting here. Uh, if you will go stop by there, you can get all the information you want, everything you would want to know. But these are some of the ones that I knew, do know about: dental extractions, dental restorations. Uh, that's fillings for you non-dental people. Uh, <laughs> how to make dentures, dental hygiene, cleaning teeth, farming God's way. Yes, we teach farming. Uh, infectious disease prevention, which is a real, real big thing, particularly in developing countries. Medical screening, such as the basic medical care. Okay, very necessary and very easy to teach. So if you're a medical student, I promise you, if you're an M2, you could probably go teach that module. Okay, somewhere in the world. Uh, and then medical care, you have uh, teaching babies to breathe or breathing for babies, prenatal, neonatal, respiratory disease care, sewing, okay, and a lot of the, uh, uh, there is a tremendous outreach um, in developing countries to learn how to sew. It's a unique way for particularly the elderly ladies in some of these developing country villages to find usefulness, okay, they can't necessarily do the heavy work of extractions or, or manipulation and in, in, in physical therapy, but they're very, very good at sewing, and many times they just need the skill given to them. That's another one. Vision, which is exams and glasses. Water hygiene and wound care. Um, this is a dental hygiene module. This is a new module for Empower. This is not a commercial for Empower. I know iTech is also doing dental hygiene module. Uh, this is Janan. Janan is actually on staff with us. This is my cue. Janan, would you like to come up for a minute? You're probably tired of hearing a male voice and hearing me wrong on, so I'm going to let Janan speak just a few minutes, and then we'll wrap it up and take some questions, and the floor will be really wide open for just about anything, okay? Thank you. And I know not everyone is dental in here, so I will try not to get too crazy. There are a couple of things I could talk about forever. One's Minnesota, where I'm originally from, and one's dental hygiene, because I love, love, love hygiene. Um, and so about, it was actually six years ago, 
today that I met Linda Webster, who works for Empower. I was here at the Global Missions Health Conference, and just through going on trips in time, I ended up moving to Louisville, Kentucky three years ago, and I'm on staff with Empower Approach now. And since then, we have taken um, the dental module, taken parts of it, and created a dental hygiene module because as we would go in and teach students how to pull teeth, they started asking, but how do you save teeth? And so that's where dental hygiene comes in. Are there any hygienists out there? Oh, guys, tell your friends they have to come on a trip with me because we need more hygienists to go and teach. So um, we've gone in so many different countries, taken hygienists with us, and the goal is to go in and educate the students on how to go home, talk to their own families so their families can talk to their families about brushing, flossing, oral health prevention, and then also to talk to them about the importance of getting their teeth clean so that they're doing that on a regular basis. So this was a group of students in Myanmar who had just amazing skills. Um, and this is one of my favorite pictures. If you get grossed out by mouths, you probably won't think it's as beautiful as I do. But in Rwanda, it just shows the difference between the patient was 32 years old, 32, and he came in with horrible bone and gum disease, lots of tartar on his teeth that causes that disease. And our student cleaned a quarter of his mouth so we could do a side-by-side -side comparison. And so this was the last day of training, um, and this is the difference that it made in that patient's life. Just in five days, that student was able to learn how to do that. And it seems like they, the student actually had been a dental extraction student the year before, and she came in and she thought, this will be so easy. And at the end of the day, she's like, this is so hard. But it makes a huge difference. Um, and one of the other things I love about it is with an extraction, the patient's coming to you when they have pain. But with dental hygiene, we teach them about the reach, just like we go to our dentist every six months, maybe three months, depending on bone and gum disease. We're teaching them to do a recall that way so that they can see these patients multiple times a year and also have the opportunity to share the gospel with them multiple times a year that way too. Um, so it's just a really neat way to do follow-up, not just with their oral health, but also with their spiritual health too. And so um, that is a picture. We use hand instruments and ultrasonic scalers, which helps. So the, the main point with the hygiene module is to, to hopefully lower the extraction rate with the, with the patients in those countries. Um, this is another picture from Myanmar. We were there in September. Um, and they just do a really excellent job over time. So this is one of the students teaching her patient about brushing and flossing. Um, and so that's where we are with dental hygiene. I'll turn it back over to you. Okay, so question may come, and I'll try to answer some before we get to them, is how does this work, right? How does it work? Now, I've tried to explain why it is a good thing, but I want to explain how it works. We partner with indigenous ministries. We don't cold call ministries around the world. We don't take a dart and throw it and call people. Uh, God connects ministries to these empowering ministries uh, again, in His will, at His will, they find us or people in this room will be connected to a ministry and go, hey, I think this will work. My church is doing something here, okay? 
they're about 10 or 12 days long. Each volunteer usually pays their own way, all right, or raises funds. We help when we can in how to do that. The skills we teach on a specific visit are appointed by the local ministry. We really, truly are an indigenous ministry-driven ministry here in the States. We don't come in on a white horse and go, we're going to save your village. We ask the ministry. Uh, we're not a first wave, okay? Uh, the first wave is usually already developed. There's pastors, teachers, churches already developed in an area. And then they will say, my people in my church or the people in my community have this need. Can you help us? And then the, the connections get made. And then they will dictate what they want us to do. And that's what we do. So the local ministry will actually let us know what modules, as it were, they're called modules, that they need to have taught. The funding is usually is either supplied by the local partner in the country we're going to, or they'll many times have a church sponsor in the West that will be helping them, uh, or an individual. Okay, uh, It's all God's money. God does supply the money. I'll tell you what we don't do. We don't walk in and go, hey, here is 5,000 U.S., do with what you will. Okay? Remember earlier I said we do not want to create dependency. Okay? The dependency is already rampant in the world, uh, depending on us. We don't want to further that. Um, each local ministry is expected to be self-sustaining. In other words, we will go in and take the supplies to train the instruments they will need to start their work. But expendables will need to be purchased. Uh, if in the dental, medical, they'll need or pharmacy world, they'll need to be able to supply them their own medicines, their own gauze, gloves, uh, whatever. Okay, the disposables will need to be able to be found in their local economy or certainly a supply chain that they have access to. In other words, we don't keep sending supplies. Okay, again, creates dependence. Dependence is not good okay and we expect to do follow-up training and i'll tell you the reason for that the follow-up training is done for two reasons that i can think of right off the top of my head one is we go back and we teach some more skills uh for instance in the medical end of it for my medical people in the room you may go to a ministry and you will start by teaching basic uh vital signs uh, evaluation when to refer uh, to a hospital Okay, but on a subsequent visit, after they have seen some patients and they have more uh, knowledge about what they're doing, you will go back in six months to a year or a year and a half and you will maybe teach suturing or advanced wound care or uh, breathing for babies or even delivering babies. Okay, so it gives opportunity to further the skill of the worker, okay, in, in whatever area you're in. The other thing it does is it gives us an opportunity to reconnect with our brothers and sisters. Okay? Because, and you'll know this from doing trips that you've all been on, reconnecting with people that you befriend is a glorious thing. Okay? If you ever go back to a place more than once, you really look forward to seeing familiar faces. And quite frankly, there's a joy in that. You know, there really is a joy in that. So that's for me, that's what I enjoy doing. Um, but we do encourage that. So how can you guys get involved? Number one, pray. All right. I want you to pray for our brothers and sisters in other countries. Pray for the ministries that go. Most of you guys are involved. By a show of hands, we already know that. Okay, pray for your ministries.
Okay? And pray for yourself. What's God calling you to do? What is God wanting you to do? Okay? You have skill. You have skills. Now, if you're young and have student loans, you ain't got any money, right? But you have mad skills, right? And you can take those skills and you can pass those skills to a brother or sister in another country and give them an opportunity to serve Christ using their hands and your skill set passed on. And then go. Volunteer locally or you can find any of the ministries I said, iTech and Empower on the second floor on exhibit on the far exhibit wall there. Uh, Teach to Transform is a medical. They're on the bottom on the far left. So is Fame. You can find them in your exhibitor catalog. Okay, uh, There are other empowering ministries out there. But I would encourage you at some point in your life to consider going on an empowering mission. Okay, uh, doing, doing is good. Empowering is better. Okay, So if anybody asks you a question, did Tim Williams tell you that going on a doing trip was really, really a bad thing? You can tell them, no, there is a better way though. Okay? All right. Take a trip with us. We can find something for you to do, right? We can. We'll find you something. And we're at booth twenty nine oh two. I tech is twenty nine oh six. I think is I tech. Yep. Peace out. Any questions in the back? Oh, in medical school? Yeah, and you're what year? Yeah, you're about to get all of it in about a week. Yes, <laughs> one whole week of dental training is the best I remember. Am I right? Yeah, you're. So you're correct. I can I can make a couple of suggestions. And this is by the way, this is free. This is bonus material, not part of anything about empowering. Okay, y'all heard me say earlier I, I work at a university medical center in a GPR. You could call a dental school in your area, or if you're in a medical school that has a dental school attached, you could probably uh try to befriend a dental student. We're odd, okay, <laughs> but we are out there. Uh and just say, Hey, is it okay if I shadow you? Okay, or talk to a professor in the dental school and say, you know what, I really want to do a short term. I, I want to do some short term mission stuff, but I'm medical. I'm not dental. Can you do that? We've actually had medical folks shadow us in my residency, and we will actually teach them to do basic anesthesia and stuff. Okay, now now that's a bonus. Okay, so just remember that. <laughs> but that's a good question. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. But there's some people who are just not cut out for dentistry or who are not cut out for medicine. And in your training, how do you deal with those situations where you see that someone just is not quite fitting okay. that particular skill? Great question. Let me repeat it because it's being recorded. So the question was, and correct me if I'm wrong, when we go to train people, uh, it becomes obvious that that person is not cut out or does not have the proficiency to do the skill that they were taught. How do we handle that? Correct? Okay. Really good question. And it happens about 80, 85% of the students that we train 
will not have the proficiency. The knowledge just won't go in. Uh, their hands... Was that me? I hope not. Okay, and it's okay if it's you. I'm not wanting to embarrass you. But I'm, just, I'm recording. Um, but um, if, you, if we have a student like that, uh, who just doesn't have the hand motions or the skills necessary of physical therapy? They just have trouble getting the manipulation right, or or in nursing they don't they, they don't have the the right skill to do injections or to do the counseling or what have you. Um, there are other things that they can do. Okay, I can tell you in dentistry uh, we do well in medicine too. I'm, I'm almost certain of this. Sterilization is very important. Okay. Uh, as a matter of fact, what sets the dentists and the dental students and the medical people that we train apart from a lot of the countries we go is we actually teach sterile technique. Uh, just got back from Myanmar Sunday, and the local uh, ministry leader that was our sponsor, uh, we said, what are the dentists in this area charging? And he, he said, we're not really sure. But when he came to see some of our students work, he was intrigued with our pressure pot, which is the way we teach them to steam sterilize instruments because he said, we don't do that here. Okay? This will gross you out. They just wipe them off and keep going on the next guy and the next guy and the next guy. Okay? So so to answer your question more directly, they may not be cut out to extract teeth. They may not be cut out to clean teeth. But God has a job for them. Okay? Now, most of these people are already evangelistically gifted. Okay? They already have the spiritual gift of evangelism. They are called into their community. They love the people that they work with and serve with so much so that they need a skill. But God, God equips. Uh, we had one student on the last trip to Myanmar, for example. Great guy. Just couldn't comprehend the dental part of it on the extractions. He just couldn't get it. But we took him to the sterilization and basically put him in charge of it. And after a little more instruction, because he was slow on the uptake there... The guy was a, he was a star. I mean, he was teaching them all how to hit the sterilization without exploding the room, okay, which is a whole other fun thing, but it's doable. And so he took over, okay, so there's always something, okay. Culturally, sometimes it can get delicate, but these are brothers and sisters in Christ, too. We're not talking to, uh, we're not talking to a non-Christian brother or sister, so. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah. 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 If we see that they're not proficient, we don't. Yeah. We teach excellence. Okay. We believe what Colossians says, do everything you do under the Lord. And he requires us to be excellent. We don't just graduate anybody. If they don't show skills and comprehension and proficiency, you know, we don't turn people loose. Okay. The reputation of our God is pretty important. Right. But God honors it too. You'd be shocked. A question right behind you. Yeah. Um, can you talk about a few things? One is that, so when you're interacting with different cultures, so I don't know how many different regions you work in, but how you approach different people groups differently in order to teach them, because some learn differently. But then the second question, I guess, would be, um, how do you deal with a people group that's already been pushed into a dependency so that they already have a learned Great questions. Okay, let me repeat it for the recording. Number one was how do we deal with culturally with, with different cultures that may learn differently than we teach, right? And then the second question was how do we deal with cultures that are already 
uh, dependent upon us financially. Is that close? Oh, oh, dependent upon us to come do all the work while they watch. Okay, okay, I've got you. Okay, so number one, the the teaching methods that we use uh, are we give our partner on the ground the material that we're going to be teaching, right? And so they know the curriculum. They know what's going to be there. They know that we're going to be doing it. They, uh, If you'll remember, one of the photos we put up there earlier, and I'll not, I'll not go back to it, um, it, you saw one of the students with his feet up on the on the bench reading the manual. So they'll get a manual, okay? Sometimes it's in English, sometimes it'll be in their language, but even if it's in English, we have translators that can fill it in for them in their language. So they'll have a study guide they can look at visually. We do it on PowerPoints too, where we will speak through an interpreter. So if they're a, 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 a auditory learner, they'll hear it. If they're a visual learner, They'll see it, okay? If they're a tactile learner, they'll get to feel it, okay? Um, I can show slide after slide after slide of, of Janan teaching or me teaching or any of the other volunteers, John, any one of us, uh, or, or Ruth and Norm. By the way, this is Norm. He is the, Norm Schenk is the chairman of our board of directors, and his wife just got back from uh, Rwanda where we were doing sewing and soap making with the Twa people group, which you guys probably know as pygmies. And uh, so a phenomenal story there if you want to corner them and ask them about that. It's just an amazing story that God has worked really amongst the Rwandan people. But um, so they have, you will see us up and actually touching, if we're teaching, for instance, how to do an injection uh, to numb someone, we will actually have a skull with a model and they will be able to actually hold it and see it and, and feel it, okay? And at the end of the first day, they get to numb each other, which is really exciting, right? So they get all the didactics. They get to see the nerves. We have we have skulls, and then we have representations. iPads are the coolest thing. Apple did a good thing for us because there's apps now that you can get three-dimensional. Uh, and if you guys are all students. If you're, if you're a student now, you know what I'm talking about. You have the ability to manipulate image. Uh, so there's three different ways we can teach. Okay, and then there's obviously practical because, like I said, at the end of the first day, they get to numb each other. Okay, we were one short on this last trip, and I got to get numb by a brand new a pastor. That was there was some praying going on there, but he did really he he did good, and he got me numb. So we're good. Now the second part of it was how how do you uh, how do you wean a ministry away from that? I'll just be honest with you. That's kind of a bit above my pay grade. I, I'm a, I'm a full-time practicing dentist, the, it, it's delicate. It takes some very direct conversation. Fortunately for us, most of the times with the ministries that we're working with, they come knowing what we're going to do, okay? Uh, I, I do think it is gonna ha- it has to be done with prayer, gentleness, okay, and guidance. Um, so I, just to be honest with you, I couldn't, I couldn't come close to answering that, so I'm not even going to try to fudge one for you. Okay. Okay. Any other questions? Yes, sir. What's your experience uh, with either pushback or resistance from the local ministries of health or practitioners in the You're teaching something to people which they feel is their. Um, Are we stepping on toes? Yeah. Okay, that's a. That's a
That's awesome. That's a great question, and I'll repeat it for you in case you didn't hear him. question was, do we get any pushback from the local community, uh, a professional community, for teaching them a skill that will be stepping on their turf? Close? Yeah, and, and yeah, and how does the government view that? And you know what? I will give you a, I will phrase it a little differently because it's a question that we, we get sometimes. Uh, is what we're doing legal? And the answer to that is yes and no. Alright? Um, in a country where you have one dentist for 1.5 million people, in other words, the dentist, I'll use dentistry because I know dentistry, okay? Uh, in Ghana, I think the dentist-patient ratio is is one for four million. One for no one one for one point eight million. I said million. Okay. In Louisville, I think the dentist-patient ratio is like one to, to five hundred people, really. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of dentists here. Okay. Most of the developing countries we go to, that's not an issue. There's so many. There are not that many dentists, and there's an overwhelming need. Okay. But we don't go to areas where they have dentists in abundance, okay? We don't go there. Uh, as a matter of fact, we were in, in this town in Myanmar, that you, you, the one we just recently got back from. They had dentists there, but the people that we were training were going far into the mountains where they didn't have any dentistry at all for probably 200, 300 kilometers around the village they were in, okay? So there's two ways to do that. You can either get permission of the local government that you're going to be teaching and doing what you're going to be doing, okay, or you can go in under the radar, learn the skill, demonstrate the proficiency, and then present yourself to the government. And to be honest with you, we tell our local ministries that we work with that that is their call to make, okay, because we are local ministry driven, and so that is a call that they make. Now, I'll tell you another story. Uh, this is in northeast Uganda. Six years ago, um, a young man named Peter Okello was trained to extract teeth. Peter was a, is a farmer. Back then, he's a, he was a subsistence farmer. In other words, he was scraping around on dirt to try to feed his family. He was a pastor. And over there, pastors don't get paid a salary. They get paid a meager amount from a parent ministry. Okay, he was expected to feed his own family doing what he could. Okay, not doing well. They were struggling. He had an opportunity to come to a dental training put on by our ministry. Uh, matter of fact, John was on that, on that trip with us. And um, he was trained to extract teeth. Over the last six years, Peter has gotten pretty darn proficient at it because that's all Peter does. I was talking to some students from the University of Minnesota back here. Dentists, and I'm sure physicians and nurses, you guys, you do a lot of things, okay? A lot of things within your profession. But if you're a dentist uh, and all you know how to do is extract teeth, guess what you do? (laughs) You extract teeth. Over a four or five year period, Peter's really, really good. As a matter of fact, Peter is so good that he's on the radar of the local dental people, okay? One of whom had an office in... Sarodi, which was not far from his village, and he was a, a Muslim. He was a, Mus- a, a Muslim dentist. But Peter's renown was such that any time the Muslim dentist would break a tooth, 
he knew of Peter's reputation, he would refer the patient to Peter. Okay? He actually established a relationship with Peter and offered to build him an office next to his so that they could work together side by side. That's the confidence that they had in the abilities that these young men and women get when they go and are empowered and God blesses their hands, the work of their hands. Now, I'll tell you as an aside, Peter said no, right? Because Peter's a pastor first. Peter's called to go. Peter has eight churches in eight or nine different villages out in the bush. He rides his bicycle seven or eight hours a day. He gets up in the middle of the night, starts riding, sets up under a tree, treats and preaches, treats and preaches, treats and preaches. And ain't that awesome? Right? Because it doesn't matter if you take out an infected tooth. If you lose a soul to an eternal hell, what good have we done them other than just a temporary relief? So, guys, this is what God can do through your skills. This is what He's able to do. But that's a great question, and it gives me an opportunity to tell a story about Peter, who's become a dear friend, by the way, uh, and hopefully look forward to seeing him again soon. Uh, other questions? In the back? How do you... Oh, good question. How do you start teaching a people group? Uh, the local ministries that we work with will approach us and they will have needs of their community. Uh, I will tell you that the largest needs in developing countries particularly are needs for dental, dental work, either ex- extractions, fillings, uh, cleanings, and vision. Uh, the trip we just recently got back from, and I showed you some of the photos of the vision being taught, uh, they passed out 670 pairs of glasses to people who previously could not read. And the, the joy and the tears were obvious and the rejoicing that they could finally read. And no, they weren't all Christian. Okay, They were in a village that was Buddhist and Christian and a few Muslims and a few Hindus. But they know... They know they heard the gospel, right? They were prayed for, and they know who gave them back their sight. So the seed is planted. Does that answer your question? Oh, okay, so if a ministry contacts us and they say we have these, these, these needs, uh, we will say, well, here's the modules, here's what we can do, and then they will choose the students. Okay, that, that's, maybe that's where you're going. They will pick, uh, they will pick the, uh, the students that they need, that they want to fill in those roles. Many times it is a, a pastor from a very remote village that approaches them, and uh, the need is dental, and they'll put them in the dental slot. And then, or it could be that they're in a remote area, and they have uh, a lot of uh, a lot of raids, and there's a lot of injuries and wounds, and they need a wound care, okay, uh, or stuff like that. Uh, then we would we would bring in the appropriate module, okay. We teach with PowerPoint models. Uh, it, it's hands on. It's very hands on, okay. We're usually hovering there the first day and a half is first day and a half or two is didactic okay reading teaching going over things answering questions and then usually at the day and a half and on phase is actual practical work they're actually doing what they're taught now you would start what is, what are you in 
and medical, dental, family medicine. So for you, you would go teach wound care or suturing or something. You would teach them the didactic part first, right? And you would make sure they'd mastered it, uh, the suture. Let's take suturing. You would have a wound on maybe a, a, a pig leg or, or something like that. You would teach them your basic suturing skills the way you learned. You would supervise them. And then you might go into the community and actually show them. You would actually supervise them, use their hands, show them how to do it. You do the anesthesia. You would teach the local anesthesia stuff. And you would do that. But gradually you start to step back. Okay, At about day four. Day three or day four, you start to step away and let them fly. Very much like when you were a resident or when, when we were students. You know, at some point you had people watching you closely, but after that they just kind of take their hands off and go, here you go. And you shake and you're flying without a net, right? And so it's very much like that. Very accelerated and very basic. Okay? Is that close? If not, catch me after this and I can go. Okay? Any other questions? We have just a few minutes left. Yes, sir, Austin. Um, ministries, it's like I'll go on dental trips, but never have we, you know, trained indigenous people to do that. So I think it's an incredible idea. Do you ever um, have the question, like, can we use your modules, you know, like to... Um, oh, like a, an ancillary group, can we use your module? Yes, we get asked that question. I will tell you this. Uh, what we have is not proprietary. Uh, and this morning I was in Jamie's, Jamie Saints meeting. Uh, when we don't take credit, when we don't take credit, God wins. Right? Okay. I will say that with one caveat. I'm very careful who, uh, we're very careful, and I'm, sh- I'm sure I take it too. We're very careful with who we share the module. Okay? Uh, because, Unfortunately, I'm not blind to where we are. We're in a country that is contentious, litigious. It wouldn't take much for them to turn it around and go, you're practicing witchcraft in another. I say that loosely. You know, you're, you're teaching people how to do barbaric things to each other. So unless someone has a very thorough understanding, I'm, not, I'm kind of reluctant to say, hey, here's what we got. Go with it. Okay. Um, I will also tell you this, and this is a personal belief, but deeply held. This is opinion, but it's deeply held belief. I don't think I would feel comfortable at all teaching a non-believer to do what we're doing. Okay? And I'll tell you why. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, guys, I just don't see what we're doing as possible. I mean, I'm teaching guys in a day and a half and ladies in a day and a half to stick a needle in somebody's head going at nerves and blood vessels that if they don't know what they're doing, they can get in trouble. So you're shaking your head back there. It's kind of scary, right? It's, it's not wasted on me. We're not cowboys. We're not reckless. I promise. We teach them thoroughly. We teach them well. But we have a great physician who indwells us. I depend on that. And I'll tell you, if you've not been in practice long, you're going to. If you've been in practice very long, you know this. We depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. Many times in my practice, I've stopped and I've prayed, God help me on him over my head. <laughs> okay? Sometimes we forget that. But I would not teach that to a non-believer. We've been approached by, as a matter of fact, by by a national government to teach the the people in their uh, country how to do dental, and we refused because it was a Muslim-run country. So. But I think, I think one thing, Tim, just you know, somebody wants to be trained and come alongside a group that's already been doing this. Come, come yeah. for a trip and see how we do it. And Absolutely. Come along with you know, somebody who's been doing 
Yeah. 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 I was talking to Jack earlier today, uh, and and it, you know if anybody's welcome to go on a trip with us anytime, uh, and to see how it works completely. It's an open invitation. See iTech, see me. Go to Teach to Transform. I know those are three ministries that are actively going, okay, all over the world, literally, who will do it, okay? Any other questions? Okay, I have one more thing and it will go. We'll pray and we'll go. That you've heard me talk about empowering. Absolutely, I think that is the better way, okay? One thing, we, the question was an ask, so I'll tell you, can we do this everywhere? And the answer is no. It's kind of related to your question, what do the local governments think? Some local governments are extremely aware and very oppressive. Okay, They will not let our student trainees work. They won't let our dental health workers, our medical health workers, they will not let them work. If they catch them, they're going to put them in jail or worse. Okay, And we don't go to those countries. All right. So is this a model that's going to work globally? Uh, not for medical, but... I can tell you right now, I don't think governments are going to care that we go teach folks how to sew. You know, They're not going to care that we come teach them about water hygiene and teach them how to go into communities and, and place filters and water sources. Okay? So there's other methods. Is it, can it be taught globally? No, I don't know. But I know where we go, it's, it's received well. And I would challenge you guys just to pray. Pray carefully. My prayer after my first trip with Empower was, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. Do whatever you want me to do. Whenever you want me to do it, just make sure I know that it's your will and not my own ego getting in the way. And if you pray that prayer, they'll be careful. Because you'll be up here and you'll be talking about empowering. So, all right. So, thank you guys for coming. Uh, I'll be doing this session again in the morning at 9:20. Most of the same material, but if you have friends that want to come, that's where I will be doing. So, let's pray before we go. Father, I thank you again for your Son Jesus Christ and the life that we have and the calling that you've given each one of us, which is unique, uniquely applied to each individual. I ask you to open our hearts. Open our minds and make us aware in a new way of the depth of your love and grace to us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.